0: international short stories volume two english stories this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by edward kirkby international short stories volume two english stories edited by william Patton. section 18 the seer de Maltois door by r l stevenson Part Two. denis made her a respectful inclination madam he said you have honoured me by your confidence it remains for me to prove that i am not unworthy of the honour is monsieur de maltois at hand i believe he is writing in the salle without she answered may i lead you thither madam asked denis offering his hand with his most courtly bearing she accepted it and the pair passed out of the chapel Blanche, in a very drooping and shamefast condition, but Denis strutting and ruffling in the consciousness of a mission and the boyish certainty of accomplishing it with honour, the Sieur de Maltois rose to meet them with an ironical obeisance, Sir said denis, with the grandest possible air, I believe I am to have some say in the matter of this marriage." and let me tell you at once i will be no party to foreseeing the inclination of this young lady had it been freely offered to me i should have been proud to accept her hand for i perceive she is as good as she is beautiful but as things are i have now the honor Missouri, of refusing blanche looked at him with gratitude in her eyes but the old gentleman only smiled and smiled until his smile grew positively sickening to dennis "'I am afraid,' he said. "'Monsieur de Beaulieu, that you do not perfectly understand the choice I have to offer you. "'Follow me, I beseech you, to this window.' "'And he led the way to one of the large windows, which stood open on the night. "'You observe,' he went on, "'there is an iron ring in the upper masonry, and reeved through that a very efficacious rope. "'Now mark my words, if you should find your disinclination to my niece's person unsurmountable,' I shall have you hanged out of this window before sunrise. I shall only proceed to such an extremity with the greatest regret, you may believe me, for it is not at all your death that I desire, but my niece's establishment in life. At the same time, it must come to that if you prove obstinate. Your family, Monsieur de Boullieu, is very well in its way, but if you sprang from Charlemagne, you should not refuse the hand of a meltois with impunity.' "'not if she had been as common as the pears road, "'not if she were so hideous as the gargoyle over my door. "'Neither my niece nor you, nor my own private feelings, "'move me at all in this matter. "'The honour of my house has been compromised. "'I believe you to be the guilty person. "'At least you are now in the secret, "'and you can hardly wonder if I request you to wipe out the stain. "'If you will not, your blood be on your own head.' It will be no great satisfaction to me to have your interesting relics kicking their heels in the breeze below my windows, but half a loaf is better than no bread, and if I cannot cure the dishonour, I shall at least stop the scandal. There was a pause. I believe there are other ways of settling such imbroglios among gentlemen, said Dennis. You were a sword, and I hear you have used it with distinction. The Seer de Maltoin made a signal to the chaplain who crossed the room with long silent strides and raised the Arras over the third of the three doors It was only a moment before he let it fall again, but Dennis had time to see a dusky passage full of armed men When I was a little younger I should have been delighted to honor you monsieur de Beaulieu Said Seer Allen, but I'm now too old Faithful retainers are the sinews of age, and I must employ the strength I have. This is one of the hardest things to swallow as a man grows up in years, but with a little patience even this becomes habitual. You and the lady seem to prefer the sal for what remains of your two hours, and as I have no desire to cross your preference, I shall resign it to your use, with all the pleasure in the world. No haste, he added, holding of his hand as he saw a dangerous look come into Denis de Boulieu's face. If your mind revolts against hanging, it will be time enough two hours hence to throw yourself out of the window or upon the pikes of my retainers. Two hours of life are always two hours. A great many things may turn up in even as little a while as that. And besides, if I understand her appearance, my niece has still something to say to you. You will not disfigure your last hours by a want of politeness to a lady Dennis looked at Blanche and she made him an imploring gesture It is likely that the old gentleman was hugely pleased at this symptom of an understanding for he smiled on both and added sweetly If you will give me your word of honor monsieur de Beaulieu to await my return at the end of two hours before attempting anything desperate I shall withdraw my retainers and let you speak in great privacy with Mademoiselle Denis again glanced at the girl who seemed to beseech him to agree I Give you my word of honor he said Monsieur de maltois bowed and proceeded to limp about the apartment clearing his throat the while without odd musical Chirp which had already grown so irritating in the ears of Denis de Beaulieu he first possessed himself of some papers which lay upon the table then he went to the mouth of the passage, and appeared to give an order to the men behind the arras, and lastly he hobbled out through the door by which Dennis had come in, turning upon the threshold to address a last smiling bow to the young couple, and followed by the chaplain with a hand-lamp. No sooner were they alone than Blanche advanced toward Dennis with her hands extended. Her face was flushed and excited, and her eyes shone with tears. "'You shall not die,' she cried you shall marry me after all you seem to think madam replied dennis that i stand much in fear of death oh no no she said i see you are no poltroon it is for my own sake i could not bear to have you slain for such a scruple i'm afraid returned dennis that you underrate the difficulty madam what you may be too generous to refuse i may be too proud to accept in a moment of noble feeling toward me, you forget what you perhaps owe to others. He had the decency to keep his eyes upon the floor as he said this, and after he had finished so as not to spy upon her confusion, she stood silent for a moment, then walked suddenly away and falling on her uncle's chair, fairly burst out sobbing. Dennis was in the acme of embarrassment. he looked round as if to seek for inspiration and seeing a stool plumped down upon it for something to do there he sat playing with the guard of his rapier and wishing himself dead a thousand times over and buried in the nastiest kitchen heap in france his eyes wandered round the apartment but found nothing to arrest them there were such wide spaces between the furniture the light fell so baldly and cheerlessly over all the dark outside air looked so coldly through the windows that he thought he had never seen a church so vast nor a tomb so melancholy the regular sobs of blanche de maltois measured out the time like the ticking of a clock he read the device upon the shield over and over again until his eyes became obscured he stared into the shadowy corners until he imagined they were swarming with horrible animals and every now and again he awoke with a start to remember that his last two hours were running, and death was on the march. Oftener and oftener, as the time went on, did his glance settle on the girl herself. Her face was bowed forward, and covered with her hands, and she was shaken at intervals by the convulsive hiccup of grief. Even thus she was not an unpleasant object to dwell upon, so plump and yet so fine, with a warm brown skin and the most beautiful hair, Denis thought, the whole world of womankind. Her hands were like her uncle's, but there were more in place at the end of her young arms, and looked infinitely soft and caressing. He remembered how her blue eyes had shone upon him, full of anger, pity, and innocence. And the more he dwelt on her perfections, the uglier death looked, and the more deeply was he smitten with penitence at her continued tears. Now he felt that no man could have the courage to leave a world which contained so beautiful a creature And how he would have given 40 minutes of his last hour to have unsaid his cruel speech Suddenly a hoarse and ragged peal of cockrow rose to their ears from the dark valley below the windows And this shattering noise in the silence of all around was like a light in a dark place and shook them both out of their reflections Alas I can do nothing to help you she said, looking up. Madam, replied Denis, with a fine irrelevancy, if I have said anything to wound you, believe me, it was for your own sake and not for mine. She thanked him with a tearful look. I feel your position cruelly, he went on. The world has been bitter hard on you. Your uncle is a disgrace to mankind. Believe me madame there is no young gentleman in all france But would be glad of my opportunity to die in doing you a momentary service I know already that you can be brave and generous She answered what I want to know is whether I can serve you now or afterward she added with a quiver Most certainly he answered with a smile Let me sit beside you as if I were a friend instead of a foolish intruder Try to forget how awkwardly we are placed to one another. Make my last moments go pleasantly, and you do me the chief service possible. You are very gallant, she added, with a yet deeper sadness. Very gallant, and it somehow pains me. But draw nearer, if you please, and if you find anything to say to me, you will at least make certain of a very friendly listener. Ah, Monsieur de Beaulieu, she broke forth. "'Ah, Monsieur de Beaulieu, how can I look you in the face?' And she fell to weeping again with a renewed effusion. "'Madame,' said Denis, taking her hand in both of his, "'reflect on the little time I have before me, "'and the great bitterness into which I am cast by the sight of your distress. "'Spare me in my last moments the spectacle of what I cannot cure, "'even with the sacrifice of my life.' "'I am very selfish,' answered Blanche. I will be braver monsieur de beaulieu for your sake but think if I can do you no kindness in the future if you have no friends to whom I could carry your adieus Charge me as heavily as you can Every burden will lighten by so little the invaluable gratitude I owe you put it in my power to do something more for you than weep my mother is married again and has a young family to care for my brother gouchard will inherit my fiefs and if i am not in error that will content him amply for my death life is a little vapor that passeth away as we are told by those in holy orders when a man is in a fair way and sees all life open in front of him he seems to himself to make a very important figure in the world his horse whinnies to him the trumpets blow and the girls look out of window as he rides into town before his company He receives many assurances of trust and regard sometimes by express in a letter Sometimes face to face with persons of great consequence falling on his neck It is not wonderful if his head is turned for a time But once he is dead were he as brave as Hercules or as wise as Solomon he is soon forgotten it is not ten years since my father fell with many other knights around him and a very fierce encounter I do not think that any of them nor so much as the name of the fight is now remembered No, no madam the nearer you come to it You see that death is a dark and dusty corner where a man gets into his tomb and has the door shut after him till the judgment day I have few friends just now and once I am dead. I shall have none ah monsieur de beaulieu she exclaimed you forget blanche de maltois you have a sweet nature madame and you are pleased to estimate a little service far beyond its worth it is not that she answered you mistake me if you think i am so easily touched by my own concerns I say so because you are the noblest man I have ever met, because I recognise in you a spirit that would have made even a common person famous in the land. And yet here I die in a mouse trap, with no more noise about it than my own squeaking," answered he. A look of pain crossed her face, and she was silent for a little while. Then a light came into her eyes, and with a smile she spoke again. I cannot have my champion think meanly of himself Anyone who gives his life for another will be met in paradise by all the heralds and angels of the Lord God And you have no such cause to hang your head for pray. Do you think me beautiful? She asked with a flush Indeed madam I do he said I am glad of that she answered heartily do you think there are many men in france who have been in marriage by a beautiful maiden with her own lips and who have refused her to her face i know you men would half despise such a triumph, but believe me we women know more of what is precious in love there is nothing that should set a person higher in his own esteem and we women would prize nothing more dearly you are very good he said but you cannot make me forget that I was asked in pity and not for love I'm not sure of that she replied holding down her head Hear me to an end monsieur de beaulieu. I know how you must despise me I feel you are right to do so I am too poor a creature to occupy one thought of your mind although alas you must die for me this morning but when I asked you to marry me indeed and indeed it was because i respected and admired you and loved you with my whole soul from the very moment that you took my part against my uncle if you had seen yourself and how noble you looked you would pity rather than despise me and now she went on hurriedly checking him with her hand Although I have laid aside all reserve and told you so much, remember that I know your sentiments toward me already. I would not, believe me, being nobly born, weary you with importunities into consent. I too have a pride of my own, and I declare before the Holy Mother of God, if you should now go back from your word already given, I would no more marry you than I would marry my uncle's groom. Dennis smiled a little bitterly it is a small love he said that shies at a little pride She made no answer although she probably had her own thoughts Come hither to the window he said with a sigh here is the dawn and Indeed the dawn was already beginning the hollow of the sky was full of essential daylight Colorless and clean and the valley underneath was flooded with a gray reflection a few thin vapors clung in the coves of the forest or lay along the winding course of the river The scene disengaged a surprising effect of stillness Which was hardly interrupted when the cocks began once more to crow among the steadings Perhaps the same fellow who had made so horrid a clangor in the darkness not half an hour before now sent up the merriest cheer to greet the coming day a little wind went bustling and eddying among the tree-tops underneath the windows, and still the daylight kept flooding insensibly out of the east, which was soon to grow incandescent and cast up that red-hot cannonball the rising sun. Dennis looked out over all of this with a bit of a shiver. He had taken her hand and retained it in his almost unconsciously. Has the day begun already, she said and then illogically enough the night has been so long alas what shall we say to my uncle when he returns what you will said denis and he pressed her fingers in his she was silent blanche he said with a swift uncertain passionate utterance you have seen whether i fear death you must now know well enough that I would as gladly leap out of that window into the empty air as lay a finger on you without your free and full consent But if you care for me at all do not let me lose my life in a misapprehension For I love you better than the whole world and though I will die for you blithely It would be like all the joys of paradise to live on and spend my life in your service as he stopped speaking, a bell began to ring loudly in the interior of the house, and a clatter of armor in the corridor showed that the retainers were returning to their post, and the two hours were at an end. After all that you have heard, she whispered, leaning toward him with her lips and eyes. I have heard nothing, he replied. The captain's name was Florenton Chambiver, she said in his ear. I did not hear it he answered, taking her supple body in his arms and covering her wet face with kisses. A melodious chirping was audible behind, followed by a beautiful chuckle, and the voice of Messiery de Maltois wished his new nephew a good morning. End of section 18. Recording by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England.